This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And I am joined today by someone who is no stranger to The Witness and no stranger to the Pass the Mic podcast. Of course, I'm talking about our vice president, the vice president of The Witness, a black Christian collective, and also the host of the Combing the Roots podcast on our podcast network, Ali Henny. Ali, how you doing? Hey, what's good? You know, it's so funny. Every time you're on, people are like, when, when is Ali coming back? <laughs> when is Ali? <laughs> I always get those. I always get those messages. People are like, "Oh yeah, bring Ali back again." <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. Well, we are back recording an episode because of the fact that this is uh, a little bit of an emergency podcast that is in response to something that we've seen on social media that has now, I guess it's fair to say, has gone viral. There was a letter that has now become public that was sent to Reverend Dwight McKissick. Now, Reverend Dwight McKissick is no stranger to The Witness. Um, He also is the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas. And he is well known on Twitter as being someone who is wrestling with his participation in the SBC. Now, recently he came out with a letter saying that he was more than likely going to break and separate and sever fellowship with the SBC due to the pervasive racism that he was seeing and experiencing. And he's been the one who has been advocating for being involved and being a part. And so it was a a significant moment for many who are watching and concerned about these matters. But there was a letter that came out, and we're actually going to read this letter word for word on the podcast. I want to make a couple of disclaimers before we do. First of all, we fully recognize that we can't react to every single racist incident that we see, and that's not our intent. But this is something that has resonated, triggered, and traumatized many Black uh, Christians, and so we want to speak to it. Now, I also, though, want to give a trigger warning because this is very strong. This is this is racism concentrate. Okay, this is very strong, and so Black Christians is one hundred percent okay if you if you don't want to listen to this, if you want to fast forward. Um, about a minute and a half ahead, and you'll probably be at the end of it. Um, you know, you don't have to subject yourself to endless reports about racism to confirm that racism is real, right? So I just want to say that to you. It's totally fine if you want to skip out on this conversation. Um, but we do, for those who want a place to process, we do want to not only inform you, but also give you that space. And so let me read this letter that was sent on January 25th, 2021. And it says, R.E., in response to McKissick cuts ties with SBTC, potentially with SBC, an article written in the Baptist Standard on January 15th. It says, and I quote, in recent years, the Southern Baptist Convention has been repenting foolishly of the quote unquote sin of whiteness and has rebaptized itself as an exemplar of diversity. Verily, it has brought fruits meet for repentance a Negro convention president, 
a Negro candidate for the pastorate of a white church, FBC, Naples, Florida, $5 million in seminary scholarships for and only for Negroes, appointed positions reserved for and elections rigged to install Negroes. But it has not been enough. Hmm. For the Negro, nothing is ever enough. LBJ's Great Society and War on Poverty gave the Negro the keys to the U.S. Treasury, the response to which has been ingratitude and, quote unquote, give us mo. Legislation leapfrogged the Negro over whites, placing Negroes in residences that they could not otherwise afford and granting them unmerited entry into classrooms and boardrooms. Yet they remain savages. They defile and diminish every arena in which they parade, academic, political, corporate, judicial, military, athletic. Seeking another white bastion to badger and beleaguer, they invaded the church. None more deserving of destruction than the Southern Baptist Convention, emphasis added in this letter. Ordinance wasted on a collapsing fort. That cult has been destroying itself for the past 15 years, proof of which is in declining membership. If Negroes had come to improve rather than importune, they would have deployed the alleged to exist collective wisdom of Black Baptist pastors to pick apart the Baptist faith and message, to challenge denominational denial of settled science, to extract the convention from its unsophisticated doctrines and dogmas of yesteryear, all desperately needed. But those are beyond the Negroes' intellectual capabilities excuse me, those are beyond the Negroes' intellectual capacities. Like two-year-olds, they know only how to whine and throw tantrums. The SBC should bid them goodbye and good riddance. And it's signed cordially. Hmm. Well, uh, that was tough to get through, I'll have to be honest with you. And again, this was dated January 25th, 2021. Ali, I don't know what to do with this. You know, we sat back and had this conversation about whether or not we would respond to this and whether or not we would talk about this. And one of the things that we came away with is how do you respond to such overt, concentrated, strong racism um, that is unashamed to name the name of Christ and unashamed to sign its name publicly? Yeah, I was so taken aback by it. So I had seen this online. I feel like I saw it on Twitter. I think last night, some people... Um, I guess like last, I guess I should, shouldn't say last night, I should frame it a little bit better. Monday night, I think it was, that I had seen this. And then I had seen it first thing in the morning um, in my Facebook feed. And I was just kind of like, I'm not going to read this. Like, in my mind, I was just thinking, okay, this is somebody being a Karen. Like, this is, this is like, whether, whether it's, mm-hmm. it's a, a male, female, whatever, whatever gender this person was, this is just, this is going to be completely, it's going to be Karenism. It's going to be, you know, stay in your place, Negro. It's going to be whatever. I did not actually read it until until you, Tyler, had 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 said like, "Hey, maybe we should respond to this." Because in my mind, I was just kind of like, "Okay, yeah, it's it's, it's white people, white people thing. Like, why is it's white racist, white racisting? Why should I even set my eyes upon this? Like, I'm not going to put this in my spirit." And so, whenever Tyler was like, "Oh, yeah, you know, I, I think that we should we should respond to this," I was like, "Okay, hold up," because the thing is, is like, I have to witness. We are about decentering whiteness. We're about centering yep. black people. Mm-hmm. Like, like we don't have the time and the bandwidth to sit out here and respond to every single racist troll. And there's a lot of them. 
that have a lot of just ratchetness to say in the Witness Facebook page, on the Witness Twitter, <laughs> yes. on my personal, in my personal Twitter, yes. in Jamar's personal Twitter, yes. on on Tyler's personal Twitter. And like, like we just like if we, like like that was all that we would be doing. So, like I said, I wasn't trying to put. I was not even trying to look at this or address this. But whenever Tyler was like. Hey, I think that we should address this as an organization. I was like, all right, all right, let me peep. And I was completely, utterly unprepared for this, mm-hmm. for what I mm-hmm. for what I read. I I in fact, um, in my first reading of it, I actually stopped to give a smo. I was like, I, I stopped mm-hmm. to give a smo and I text Tyler. I actually tried to FaceTime him first. Um, but he was busy. I text him, I'm like, what is this? What mm-hmm. on what is, what on earth is this? <laughs> and so I didn't even read the whole thing. And I handed and I handed um, my phone over um, uh, uh, to my to my husband, and I was just like, "You got to you got to read this." And he sat and read the whole thing. I told him where 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 it had me messed up and where I had to leave it. And he read the whole thing and was just like, "Wow!" I'm like this is this was from this year. Like this was from like you know two weeks yes. ago. this wasn't this wasn't he and he was just like so is this i'm I'm like giving him context i'm like this is this is this happened like this was dated january 25th 2021 and so i'm like okay you know so we're gonna talk about it so i guess i gotta read the whole thing and the thing that i that i want to point out here there are a couple of things a couple of factual things that i want to point out that i that i have since found out um, I say factual things. These are these are things that others have said that I have mm-hmm. yet to independently verify. But it is my understanding that the person who wrote this letter actually is not in the Southern Baptist Convention. Correct. They were yes. at one point, um, but then they left many years ago. They pastored a small church for a very long time. They left the convention many years ago. If I, I also understand correctly, I think that SBC leaders have have come out and have condemned this. So I want to say that up front because I think mm-hmm. that it would be that the combination of the language that this person uses, the combination of the fact that this person is not involved with the SBC and the combination of the SBC coming out and saying something about it, I think it would be very easy for us to just kind of say, okay, well, this is this is an extremist. This is somebody that was, you know, it, it's a it's a lone wolf extremist. Nah, mm-hmm. we, yes. we what we, we what we are not fitting to do, what I am not fitting to do in this is absolve this person of their racism and absolve the Southern Baptist Convention of their commitment to whiteness and absolve people of the perfect storm that they have created because of the, 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 because of their racism. And so I'm here to call a thing, to call a thing a thing. And so, okay. Acknowledging all of that, acknowledging that, that, that homie, acknowledging that homie isn't part of the Southern Baptist convention right now, acknowledging that there are people who who condemned who said this is this is something bad if it were not for the arcane language specifically the repeated use of negro that this person used a lot of people would not recognize this as racist in fact there are people who likely even in its current form would not recognize it as racist or they would recognize yes, they- they would recognize like, okay, well, maybe saying people aren't as intelligent, but they believe this stuff. People have been saying this stuff. Southern Baptists, maybe not 
people on the platforms at conventions, but people who affiliate with that denomination have been saying this stuff for a long time. And so just because you got one old racist who just really went full racist, white people don't get to disassociate themselves. They don't get to put their finger on the nose and say, not it. Because this is this is it. This is the the SBC condemning quote unquote critical race theory and all this stuff, all the the shenanigans that they've been doing for the last like year and even like within like the last two or three months is why we have this. Yes, yes. And I want to emphasize as well that the response that many people would likely have, if not for the repeated use of the word Negro, is well, I wouldn't have said it like that. But valid point. Well, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put it in that language, but you got to hear both sides. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important for us to respond to this, because it is very easy for us to dismiss this as abnormal. The language is abnormal. The boldness may be abnormal, but the sentiments, the thoughts are completely in step and in line with what many of us hear on a repeated basis. Now, again, we're not saying that every single Southern Baptist person or you know convention head or pastor believes this, but what we are saying is these types of arguments repeat themselves and have repeated themselves over dozens of years, over many different iterations, over many different Black Christians and Black people who have heard the same exact thing in public and in private conversations. And so we can we can act as though it's an aberration, but it is not. And I think we also need to be very careful about, you know, what I call smoking gun racism. Mm. Nothing is racist until we find the smoking gun. Well, which is someone using a particular word, someone using the N word, someone challenging whether or not black people are naturally inferior or they're intellectually, you know, inferior or, or can't think as well and process as well as white people can't. That's smoking gun racism. That's the racism we decry. But we don't decry not what people celebrate, but what they tolerate. Mm. What are you willing to tolerate in your churches? What are you willing to tolerate in your denomination? The issue is toleration, not celebration. We know you don't celebrate this. It would be uncouth to do that. What do you tolerate? Mm. And what have you allowed to fester that causes people like Charlie Dates and Ralph West and Dwight McKissick to now have to throw their hands up and say, something is off. We got to go. This is, I, I don't recognize this. This is, this is outside of, and we can talk about whether or not they should have done that earlier or their approach. We can, we can disagree all in, we can disagree about all of that in good faith and we can offer a challenge and push back on both sides. But I want to emphasize the fact that we should not allow people to box us into this idea that only when someone uses an explicit slur, only when someone, and this is the thing about Donald Trump, right? <laughs> People supported him. They supported him in as much as his policies agreed with theirs. They just said, oh, I wish he wouldn't say it like that. Because mm-hmm. it makes me look bad to agree publicly with that. Mm-hmm. But his policies, sure, we're fine with that. No problems. And it gets down to the root issue. And this is why we have to be extremely careful with smoking gun racism, which says, you know what? As long as you don't say it like this, I'm going to turn a blind eye to that. And everyone is, it's easy to denounce racism like this. It's much harder to denounce racism 
when people are covering it up are spraying the poop with perfume. <laughs> okay. So let's be honest about that. That's why we need to talk about this because there's an underlying reality that's not being addressed for so many black Christians. And we need to we need to call a thing a thing, as you would say. Yes, we need to call a thing a thing. Because I think, and you know, again, in this conversation, just we we are inherently and innately centering whiteness. So I'm gonna talk to the white people here for a second because you know this is a just 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 for just for a minute. This is a black podcast. This is a black yes. podcast. I'm gonna talk yes. to white people for just a minute because I think that what Tyler said about what we about what people tolerate, I think, is very important. And I think that a lot what I've seen in just the, the few things that I have managed to look at online where white folks are talking about this, I see an immediate impulse for people to disassociate themselves and say, this ain't it. This this is this this is bad. We can see that this is bad. And again, that's smoking gun racism. But I see the sentiments, the underlying sentiment that these that this person is saying, a lot of people would agree with. A lot of people would agree, well, yeah, black people, they just all they do is complain about racism. All they do is mm-hmm. is make things is make things hard and difficult for us. The whole thing about black people being being lifted up, being leapfrogging over white people to get positions. Tell me that that is not arguments against affirmative action or anything else. There's any time that a black person achieves any type of position in any type of notoriety, any type of any type of anything, there's always the argument, well, well, they got there because some white man got pushed down. Some white person didn't get it. Some white person mm-hmm. lost lost mm-hmm. their spot. As if they're as if white people are just automatically entitled to everything and we have to prove ourselves. And so it's a problem because it is commonplace thought that is articulated in a way that has become socially unacceptable. It's become socially unacceptable to say those thoughts that way. But in fact, a lot of stuff that I even see from people in saying, well, you know, you can't, well, you can't say this anymore and you can't talk about this anymore. We can't talk about that. And, and, you know, oh, it's so hard to be a white person now. You know, everybody wants to make us ashamed of being white. This is, this is how you, this is where those thought patterns lead. This is like, like this is, this is, it, it, you are a hop, skip and a jump from being the person saying these types of things whenever you tolerate, whenever you tolerate mm-hmm. this idea, whenever you tolerate these ideas, whenever you say, well, maybe, well, you know, yeah, if, 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 th- if things would be a lot easier, if, if black people didn't complain all the time and if, and if black people would try to, would try to solve the problems instead of just complaining about the issues if they would try to, if they would try to, to, to clean things up. And, and I saw another thing he, th- this person actually did this to another pastor. Yes. Reverend Joseph Fields of New Beginnings Church in Louisville, Texas. Yes. And this, and that letter I even we won't read that one, but I think that that letter was almost worse in some ways because it because it had it yes. just was bullet points of well you know maybe you can complain about racism or whatever it was whenever stuff like well whenever black people whenever whenever Negroes not black people whenever whenever Negroes can pay for groceries with cash instead of their EBT card and just also just like some of the worst <laughs> types of stereotypes and types of ideas that you could have about black people. We're being perpetuated in this. And I just keep coming back to this is basic racist thought. It is only articulated in a way that society has said is offensive. But but white people have these types of conversations 
with black people toward black people with one another and say the same types of things toward us. It's just not dress. It's just, it's more dressed up. It's more, it's more cloaked. It's more, it's more dignified. Yeah. And here's the important thing. The, The question is not whether or not this person left the SBC. The question is, was this person expelled from the FBC, SBC? Mm. Did they leave or were they expelled? Well. Because that's different. Because if they left of their own volition, because according to them and according to what he wrote, the SBC needs to be, you know, it's, it's rotten. It's a collapsing fort. That's one thing. But if he was expelled because people recognized the danger of what he was saying, and the danger of his presence and our association with that type of racism. Which one is it? And if he just left, then that's not really touching on the root of the problem. Because the root of the problem was, how did this exist for so long without someone saying, hey, he needs to be disassociated from us? Now, I don't know the answer to the question, but I think that's the difference. It's easy to, after the person is gone, talk about whether or not this person doesn't represent us. Well, they left. They're no longer here. Why weren't they gotten rid of? And this is the thing. This is why it's important. These people are in our churches. Mm -hmm. These thoughts are in our churches. They're in leadership. They're on boards. They're elders. They're pastors. The reports have come out in multiple tweets, multiple exposés of pastors who attended the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. So it was a great time. We had to stand up. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I'm just going to keep it buck. I'm just going to keep it real buck here for a second. The SBC has lost all moral credibility with me on this issue. Whether or not the person is in the convention, out of the convention, expelled from the convention, or left the convention is immaterial to me. They have lost all. I'm glad that they condemned it. But that's, that's easy. That's mm-hmm. easy to do. Mm-hmm. It's easy to yeah. say, yeah, we that th- this is this is an extreme this is concentrated. This is 100% racism concentrate. It is very easy to say I disagree with this. It's very easy to identify. Like this is like like okay, yeah, what he said about you know, the negro's intelligence and stuff like that. Like yeah, we can't we even if we agree with it, we can't we can't publicly agree with it. And I'm not saying that any that that was anybody's actual thought process. I'm just saying that it's easy to dis- it's easy to dis- to, to dissociate yourself from that. My issue here is that this is an organization that has gone against Dr. Russell Moore, has criticized him. People within that mm-hmm. those circles have criticized the ethicist, the ethical, the 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 ethical branch of the denomination. The group mm-hmm. of people who say, "Hey, this is this is what this this is how we think of ethics as Christians from this denomination." They have tried to hamstring Dr. Moore and say, "Well, you know, maybe maybe the ERLC shouldn't speak out about this and shouldn't do this." So that's one thing. The next thing, and we have we have an article about it on the Witness website on the on the blog, but the Southern Baptist Seminary presidents, the six seminary presidents, got presidents got together. Nan, a black person in the room, and decided that they were going to reaffirm the Baptist faith and message, which is okay, it was wonderful, but then they were going to condemn critical race theory. 
I really am not here to litigate. I, I, I really don't give a heck about, about that whole conversation. It's a, that whole conversation is a red herring and I just don't, I, I, it doesn't, I, I don't even know why, or I'm not even going to dignify the critical race theory questions and conversation or whatever, because it, because I, I find it completely asinine. But my point is, is you have a group of people, you have a denomination that has done everything that it can. You have, you have people like Robert Jeffries and others who have stood up in pulpits and endorsed one of the most white supremacist presidents that we've ever had in this country. Um, maybe the second most next to Woodrow Wilson, um, who I think is, it was the, was the worst of, of them um, for his time. Um, but that's a, but that's a personal opinion. Donald Trump maybe is, maybe is the worst. I don't know. And that's, and that opinion is neither here nor there. But my point is, is that you have a group of people who have at every turn, when they could have said, okay, you know what, we are going to be humble. We're going to, we are going to listen. We are going to change at every turn. They've said, okay, yeah, we think that racism is wrong, but then we are going to condemn everybody and every tool and everything that people are using to think about racism and to talk about racism and to whatever. So for me, it's like they, they've, they've lost all credibility on this issue because you can't, because it's like you're talking out both sides of your mouth. You can't mm-hmm. say, you can't condemn the most virulent form of racism and then turn around and say, well, you know, we can't use the tools, but like it, we, we condemn critical race theory. We, we condemn the tools that help us to be able to understand why something is so racist. Mm-hmm. Like that, like you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, we want to be ethical people and we want to, we want to make sure that our, that our organization is ethical and that we have a Christian, we have Christian thought, we have Christian whatever and stuff on, on this, but then condemn the person in the organization who has probably been the most outspoken white person in the organization about racism. Like you can't do that. You can't have it. You can't have it both ways. I feel like that a lot of folks want to try to ha- want to try to have it this way and sideways. And it's like, if you condemn the one, if you, if you condemn this dude, this dude who said who said all this stuff, then like you 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 can that's that's easy. But you have also got to do the work and not just and not just you know like not just give lip service to it. You mm-hmm. got to actually have black people at the at the table. You got to actually have these these conversations and not just doing it in a way that whiteness dictates. And I just and I mean I am not Southern Baptist, but as an outsider looking in. I just look and say like, like, no, y'all have lost like credibility for me. Like it does not, it does not impress me. I'm like Shania Twain. It don't impress me much that you're sitting out here <laughs> at ta- talking to me about how, to, like saying that you, that you condemn that because that's easy. You just, you did, you did, you did the easy thing. Do the, do mm-hmm. the hard thing and do, do the hard thing and really look at your organization and really look at the people that have, that, that were at the Capitol insurrection and look at how the people in your organization have, have voted and maybe get it off of one issue voting, but, but because people help put a white supremacist president in, in the white house and maybe have a minute, a moment to, to repent and mourn over that. But anyway, I'm getting way off topic, but I just, but I just needed to say that it's just like, I, I'm really the whole conversation of, the whole conversation of well, you know, they condemned it, and well, like it, it just, it just, it don't, it don't impress me. Yeah, and and let's that's I think that's a great way to transition to talking to Black Christians in these spaces, right? Um, I want to emphasize something, and I, I say this all the time, and I want to say it again. I spend an inordinate amount of time every week responding to messages, emails, talking 
whether face-to-face or online, with Black Christians who are in these spaces and are at wit's end. I'm tired of talking about it. I really am. And I'm not tired of talking to my people. I'm tired of talking to my people about whether or not they should stay or go. And I just want to emphasize that what Reverend McKissick faced in this particular uh, letter and what he has consistently faced on Twitter, um, he doesn't deserve that. Now, I want to also emphasize that if they're bold enough to say this to Reverend McKissick and Pastor Fields, then you should expect that what they say to Black women is much worse. Mm. And we see this because they have no problem calling the vice president of this country Jezebel. Well, they have no problem saying that publicly, no problem twisting themselves up into justifications. Um, and they do, and they justify it with whatever they want to justify it with. And so, my question is for how long? Are we going to allow ourselves to be diminished, to be dehumanized, to be marginalized, to be placated, to be appeased by small gestures? And I say this all the time, but it's time for us to leave loud. Well, why are we negotiating about this stuff? If if you think that these sentiments are not present. In multi-ethnic churches, you are kidding yourself. <laughs> you are you are willfully lying to yourself. You are ignoring it. And I'm not saying that the presence of that means that you cut fellowship and cut ties. I'm saying, what is the church going to specifically do to protect your dignity and to create a safe space for you to where you don't have to negotiate your dignity? And again, I say it all the time, but guys, I don't want to keep having this conversation for the rest of 2021. But what Reverend McKissick is dealing with, what Reverend Fields is dealing with, and so many others, is just a drop in the bucket. You will never know the full weight of it. You will never know how many people are rethinking their job prospects. You will never know how many people have had to leave their job at a white evangelical institution or church because of things you don't even know about. You have no idea. It is a drop in the bucket. And so when we talk about how they will power and what are we going to do as a people that says we will no longer allow this to be our lot. We don't deserve this. It's not we're going to read it and, and weep and there's, there's, a legitimate, there's a legitimate reaction to that. It's legitimate to be emotional. I'm not diminishing anyone's emotion, emotions about this. But when are we going to say, okay, I got up off my knees and prayed and wept about it, and now I'm going to take action. And I think the SPC recognizes this because they're seeing some very prominent Black pastors leaving. They don't want a mass exodus of Black people, but it's already happening. Well, <laughs> It's already happening. The milk has been spilled. It's just whether or not certain Black people will participate. It, it's already done. So my question is, what's the action plan? Because- Hey, brother, I'm sorry, isn't good enough for us anymore. And it shouldn't be. Well. How many apologies will we will we receive with no corresponding action? 
How many will we need, will we have to hear in 2021? At the beginning of Black History Month, how many will we have to hear? How many is enough? Mm-mm. No, if you love Jesus, keep the commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And you don't love your neighbor when you don't check this. There are people in very prominent places of power who have access to, been baptized by, in churches, in church leadership, in white evangelical spaces, and have not been checked. And we know based upon who they are and based upon how they represent and based upon what they talk about, that they're racist. Well. We know it. It's not a guess. And so the question is, church, what are we going to do? And Black Christians When is it going to be enough? And when are we going to band together and say, the church must, our church must answer for this? And if our church does not answer for this, we've got to go. And that's a hard decision and that frustrates us. But we're going to find places where our dignity is not in question, where we are safe to worship as freely as God has created us, and we are not subject to overt or covert racism without repentance. Well, that's not too much to ask. I don't know when, who told you that that was too much to ask for. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. The devil is a liar. Well, <laughs> he show, show is. He show is. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. You know, I, I'm I'm not gonna be before you long, but I but I just need to preach here for a minute. First of all, I want to say that Black Christians, you have not been called to die on the cross for white people's racial sins. Like that's like that's that's not Come your on. calling. I hear people say, but you know, I feel called. That I'm not gonna tell you what your blessings are. I am not the Holy Ghost, so I can't tell you what what God is calling you to or to not or not to do. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just questioning it. So I, I just, I want, I want to read some scripture here because I think, I think I, I need, I need to get, I need to get in the book for a minute because I, because, in the you know, book. You know, I hear, I hear, I hear Tyler saying, well, you know, yeah, you know, we, we, we need to, we need to leave. And I can, and I can hear, you know, black Christians being like, oh, but, but, but should we do this? Especially those of us who have been baptized figuratively or literally in these white spaces. It's like, oh, but, but can, but can we leave? Should we leave? Isn't that segregation? Like what, blah, 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 blah. So let, so let me get in the book for a minute. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 8. I'm reading out the New Revised Standard Version. Come on, the Scholar's Version. Okay, go ahead, go the ahead. Scholar's Version, yes, yes. I'm putting that MDiv to use, fam. I'm putting it to use. Okay. <laughs> these, are, these are the words of Jesus. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. Mm. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, 
no bag for your journey or two tu- or two tunics or sandals or a staff for laborers deserve their food whatever town or village you enter find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave as you enter the house greet it if the house is worthy let your peace come upon it but if it is not worthy Let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So hear me, saints. Yes, I know in context, Jesus is talking about the disciples ministering, going to towns, going out two by two and and all that and going in and ministering. But I think that there's a word and an application for us here today. Mm -hmm. The houses, the towns that we're going into, fam, that is the white church. And you know what? I, I, I believe that there's some of us that God drew into some of these white Christian spaces. There's some of us, so there's some of us who were called, there were some of us who were sent, and there's some of us who just went. But but you're in these spaces. You're sitting under you're sitting under their preaching. You're fellowshipping with them. You're you you maybe those of you who grew up in the black church, maybe you've had to check aspects of your culture at the door. Maybe you have to you have mm-hmm. to listen to your Hezekiah Walker and your John P. Key and your Kirk Franklin and your Tamla Mann and all that in the car as you drive to the church, because you ain't going to hear that. You're going to hear Bethel and Hill and Hillsong and everything else. Whenever you, whenever you show up at church on Sunday, but you know what you said? I'm, I'm here. I, I, I believe in the mission of this church. I believe what we're, what we're called, what, what this church is called to do in my, in my city or in my region. So I'm, so I'm here. You have dealt with people mistaking you for other people in your church that you don't even look like. The only the only thing is the only commonality that you have is that you have black skin. You've been you've been mistaken for people who are taller than you, who are skinnier than you, who are much prettier or uglier than you are, who wear glasses or don't wear glasses, who ha- whose hair is in a completely different style than yours and you've had to deal with the microaggressions. You've had to deal with the people reaching for your hair. You've had to deal with the people that you've been going to this church for two and three years and they still act like you're a visitor. You've Come had on. to you've had to deal with sermon after sermon that ignores your reality, that ignores your experience, that is that that is preached from the pinnacles of white privilege. You've had to swallow certain indignities you've had to as you've seen the people around you at your church in 2016 and in 2020 vote for promote a president that stands for some things that yeah you know he might ostensibly be pro-life but he says some things and, and, and did some things that show his character and you sit in here with people who they maybe condemned you because you live with your you live with your boyfriend or your girlfriend outside of wedlock, but then they were cool with um with this president that didn't seem to have any kind of moral compass or character. You've dealt with all sorts of things in your life and experience in this congregation. My question is, at what point are you going to snatch your peace? Because you know what? 
you can be in that place. You can be in that, in that congregation. You can be there, but why? When, if your dignity, now maybe you're in, maybe you are in this perfect unicorn church that everybody condemns racism. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. And I hope that that's your experience, but if it's not your experience, if you've had to, if you've had to swallow, if you've had to fake smile, if you've had to just say, okay, like, it's, and, and had to pray, at what point do you leave? And I think that we have, we have scriptural precedents here. Now, of course, this isn't the church. This isn't, the, Jesus isn't, I don't want to de- decontextualize Jesus's words here. But the idea is if you feel called, if you, you say, well, I feel called to this space and maybe you were called to be a prophetic voice and to be a prophetic witness in this space. But at what point do you say, you know what? These are not people of peace. At what point do you say that, that this, this, this place, they have, they have not received what is, what, what the Lord has been saying to them. At what point, what, what point do you say this place is unworthy? So I am going to leave and I'm not only going to leave, I'm going to take my peace. Hmm. Sometimes we have to snatch up our peace whenever, whenever we go. I have had to do that personally where it's like, no, I, you know, I, I, I have, I've moved around a lot. I've been part of a lot of different congregations with, with, with jobs as being a vocational minister and stuff. I, I've been in different places. And, and my thing is I always try to leave in peace. I, wherever I go, I always try to leave in peace. But there was one particular congregation beloved that I had to, that I, that I left two years ago that I, that I had to leave and I had to take my peace with me. And I was like, no, I'm not leaving in peace. I am leaving in protest. I am not, I am not okay with this. I am not okay with what's happening. Mm. And so, and, and, and I had to make it known and I had to leave loud and I wish I would have left louder. I left, I left loud, but I wish I would have left louder. And a lot of the reason why I did not leave as, as loudly as I would have liked to have left is because I, because there was a lot of, a lot of other black people there, a lot of people wrestling through because we were the most diverse church in our city, which isn't saying a lot because the city like 90% white, but, but we were the most diverse church in our city. And there was so, and there was, and people, and people had like such a connection and, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying like, that's what it was. And I had to think about the implications of my actions of being, being who I am. I had to think of the implications of my actions for the people who, who were there. Um, but I still left. And I still, and I still left loudly. And so I feel like that we have, we have to leave these spaces loud. There's a New York times article talking about like the quiet exodus. And a lot of us, a lot of us in 2016, 2017 on, we just kind of left and we just kind of said, okay, well, you know, we just going to stop fellowshipping with these people. We're just going to say like, like, we're just not, we're just not going to show up to church as much. And maybe we find our way into the black church, maybe we find our way to some other church, white church where they, where they're acting like they got some sense. But instead of having that quiet exodus where we just, where we just put up our little finger, gather, gather our bag, get, get our purse and leave. We, 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 we need, we need to be loud about it because, because it, and, and I say this, and this isn't about, this isn't about retribution. It isn't, it isn't about making anybody feel bad about themselves, but these are sinners that are in need of repentance. These are people who are sinning. It is sinful. The things that are happening in some of these churches, in the ways that, that you, it's sinful when somebody Mm -hmm. cannot learn your name and cannot pronounce your name correctly. There is a point where that becomes sin. 
Whenever you have to, whenever you have to tell somebody, whenever they can, whenever they can pronounce Aiden, Jaden, Caden, Waden, Waden, Traden, Okaden, they can pronounce that, but they can't pronounce your name. Hmm. And because they're not making the effort, that is, that's sin. When they mistake you for the person who is six inches shorter than you, has their hair in locks, you wear glasses, they don't. They are 50 pounds heavier than you and you get mistaken for them and called by their name because they don't, because all they see is your skin color and that's it. You, they just see that this is, this is, this is a Negro and that's it. There is a point and you've been going to this church for years. That is sinful. That's sinful. That's, that, that's, that's sin. The, and 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 you know whatever whatever pastors preach messages that do not bring the whole counsel of God and do not and do not consider the variety of experiences that are present in their congregation and even do things to the point where it diminishes people's humanity, whether it's witting or not, it's still sin. And so we can mm-hmm. say you, we can say, oh hey, you know I'm called I'm called to be in this space and I'm called to whatever. And I'm just saying, fam, we got to question it. I got I got I got a question. I got to question you on that and say, are you called or are you scared? Are you called to be there? Are you called to go through that indignity? Or are you scared because you don't know where else to go and are you and have they convinced you that not being part of their fellowship means that that means something means something about you and it says something about you and says something about your character because there's a difference. There's a huge difference. And I just, and I, and I guess I just want us to realize that we are all sinners in need of repentance, but some of our white brothers and sisters, some of our white siblings, they're in need of repentance for their sin, for their sin of racism. And we can talk about like, like, again, you know, we, we all have our issues. We all have our hangups. Racism isn't like some mortal sin that, that you can't ever come back from, but this is, this is the church. This is, this is God. This is God's house. This is, this is, these are God's people and this is God, and this is God's house. And if you can't be the fullness of who you are and if you can't be, if you can't bring your full self to this, to this place, your full sanctified self, then, then why, why, why are you there? Why, why, why do you keep, why do you constantly have to lay yourself down and lay your culture and put yourself down? But they can't, but they can't learn how to sing Kirk Franklin. You're constantly having to lay something down, but you, but, but they, but they can't, but they can't lay any part of themselves down. Anyway, I have preached long enough, but my, but my point, but my point is this is about repentance. This is, this is about repentance. This is about people coming into fellowship with the real Jesus Christ, who is not mm. a white man, but is a brown skinned Jewish Middle Eastern dude who was, who was lynched on a tree. Mm-hmm. And that's that. That's what this is about for me. This isn't about reve- this isn't about revenge. This is this is about righteousness. And we can get righteously indignant about about a lot of things. But I'm just saying, you know, because because Tyler has those conversations. I have the I have these same conversations with people again on a weekly and daily basis. Uh, people who have trauma. People who are in therapy. People who have to do who have to go through all manner of things, even questioning their faith because of what has happened in these spaces. And I'm and I'm just we real, I'm tired of it. And I'm just like, we just, we just gotta leave. We just, we just gotta, we gotta take our peace with us and go. We could talk about as where we go, how we do it, whatever. That's a whole other conversation that's beyond the scope of this podcast. But I, but I want y'all 
I, I, I think that it's important for us. I think it's important for y'all. I want y'all to get that we that we that we have to start thinking about these things. We, we the time the time the time is short. The time is, we've been we've been bearing with it for how long, and how much longer are we going to keep bearing with it? Hmm. The doors of the church are open. Amen. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.